Good morning. How you doing? Oh, no need to answer that. Uh, yeah. Hey, listen, I, I preached a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, I kind of made fun of my wife, said she had a birth defect and <laughs> was always late, and uh, I just, I'm just hoping she gets here in time to hear the apology, and, uh, but um, just want to get that out of the way. Um, yeah. And then uh, out in the lobby, there's a book, Seven Minute Marriage Solution, Seven Things to Start and Seven Things to Stop right now and the seven minutes that'll change your marriage, and then the devotional Bible, and uh, I'll be there uh, to uh, sign those. I, I didn't write the Bible, but I, um, <laughs> I wanted to write the Bible. Well, you know, when I preach, I, I am preaching uh, to the person that hates being here. That's who I like to preach to, the person that, uh, you know, just doesn't want to come and, because the same old thing. Uh, they always talk about money. And here I am talking about money. So I'm sorry, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And the title of it is To Be or Not to Be Rich. Now, that sounds Shakespearean, but it actually came from me when I was working on my sermon. I was flying back from California, sitting in row two, seat B, to be or not to be. So I thought that'd be pretty clever to make that the name there. And that's what I did. Now, we're just talking about how to be rich and how not to be rich. And they did an extensive study, and they did find that the, the money does not make the world go around, that God is still the thing that makes the world go around, even though we put so much importance on money. Money is not everything. I mean, it is uh, what keeps us close to our children, but it is, uh, especially when they, when they leave home, uh, but it's not everything. Mark Twain uh, said that uh, the root of all evil is the lack of money. And uh, I, I love that. And, and almost every person here has had an out-of-money experience uh, and, and lived through it to tell others about it. And it is not very much fun. So um, I think most people would like to be rich. Uh, so we're going to talk about how to be really good at it. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about his biggest competition, money. There are about 500 verses in the Bible on prayer, 2,000 on money. And uh, one of the reasons that you hear preachers talk so much about it is that Jesus talks so much about it. Luke 12, 34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five um, side effects of being rich, and then we're going to go through that uh, passage of Scripture that you can read on your sheet if you're under 40. But uh, other than that, you're not going to be able to see it. Uh, but there are uh, some side effects, and Jesus warned us about these, these side effects uh, with money. And... Uh, and they make us, you know, kind of weird. And uh, we do weird things. We'll, we'll go to a closet full of clothes and, and uh, say, oh, I have nothing to wear. Isn't that something? And we'll have 30 pair of shoes and, and feel like we have to have another uh, couple pair of shoes. And, and so uh, it's, it's important that we, um, we focus on what really makes a difference and what really matters. 
Now, here's the first side effect. The more Americans make, the less of it they want to give. Isn't that sad? Uh, people that make around $70,000 give on average 6%. People that make $250,000 give on average only 3%. So you'd think that if we were really trying to honor God, that the more we made, the more percentage uh, we would be willing to give. And, um, and, and we're, we're not giving because, you know, we've got children. And uh, we are equipping them with iPads, iPhones, laptops, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, one, and, and they're getting fat because all they do. I mean, we need to find activities for kids that, that, that to do it, it doesn't involve a couch. That, that would be helpful. Now, let me tell you what. I was reading in Psychology uh, this week, and uh, they had an, an article. They had an article uh, on suburban youth as compared to inner-city youth. They said that now the suburban kids have, have passed up inner-city kids in addiction, depression, anxiety, and self-destruction. And so, being psychology today, they wanted to know why. A guy did a little uh, study, and he said, here's why. If you live in a place like where we live, and you have teenagers, they start to feel pressure. They start to feel pressure. If there are five AP classes that they can get into, then they need to take five AP classes, and they need to make A's in them. And they need to pick a sport that they can star in. So with their grades and their sport, they can get in a great school so that they can get a great job and make a lot of money. And this pressure on them leads them to anxiety, depression, uh, drugs, and shoplifting. It's amazing how much they have, but they, they steal. And uh, girls love to steal. I don't know why that is, but they do it. And it's almost like they're wanting to get caught to just have to take a break from all the pressure that's there. So that's one of the, the side effects is that we, um, we give less and we live in denial. Rich people live in denial. It's funny. Athletes uh, pretty much say that they're athletes and tall people say they're tall people. But rich people don't say that they're rich. You know, nobody's rich, but everybody knows somebody that's rich. Is kind of the way it works. And um, it's interesting how uh, people will give so much less percentage. And, and God was into percentages. And the story of the widow's might is just an example of how much uh, a poor person will give everything. We had a guy at New Life. He, he said, I've got $9.73 in his checking account. And he said, I'm just going to write it all out to you. Now, why is that? Why, why do poor people oftentimes give everything they have? They give 100% sometimes. They'll give the shirt off their back to somebody. Why is that? Because they're not believing that money is ever going to heal them. See? They, they know they're not going to get this chunk of money, and, and now it's all going to be great. A hundred bucks more isn't going to change their life all that much, so they'll just give it away. But we have come to attach 
to our money uh, so that the more we make, then the less we want to give away. And so we live in denial about being rich. Uh, they did a survey. People that make 30000 said that if they could make 75000 they would be wealthy. People that, uh, in this poll, they did a Gallup poll, the average person said $150,000 would make you wealthy. And then they did this survey with Money Magazine, the readers of Money Magazine, and they asked them, what would it take for you, you know, to feel like you're done and wealthy? And they said $5 million. So you've got all these readers of Money Magazine, like maybe they have $4.5 million, and they're just miserable because they don't have $5 million, which is what they've got to have. We, we, it's just bizarre once you start opening yourself up to accumulating, but uh, we deny that we're rich. And if you think about it, if you make about $40,000, you are in the top 1% of all wage earners in the world. We, we ought to be going, yay, I made it. I'm in the top 1%. This is exciting. But nobody does that. Yay, I live in America. I'm grateful. And I can earn. But nobody does that. $40,000, uh, top 1% of the whole world. How, how did we get so fortunate to live in this country where you, you have a chance to make 40 and more? We, we could have been born into a country where you, the average is 500 bucks a year or something like that. So we need to be grateful and let that gratitude play out in our generosity. Now, uh, Robin Williams said that cocaine was God's way of telling you you've got too much money. <laughs> and all of us have our own little source of cocaine to get rid of our money. You know, it could be cars, jewelry, shoes, watches. Well, watches are all right. But uh, all of us have these things that we're doing, and it's, and it's alleviating us of our money because we want to be better than everybody else. We want to look better than everybody else. Uh, I asked for a 60-inch television last year for Christmas. I just thought that would be fantastic, 60-inch. And so we move. And the guy across the street, down in his basement, he's gone on Craigslist, and he's purchased one of these projection TV things that makes the whole wall your television HD. And he went on Craigslist and got it for less than I paid, or was paid for me, of the 60-inch television. And when I saw his deal, I, I just, I didn't even want him to come over to my house. I just felt so inferior. <laughs> I wanted what he had. So now this may save you some money. Here's what I discovered. If you want that, that wall TV effect, put your chair two feet from the TV. <laughs> and uh, it works. It's amazing. Now, um, really, it just it feels like the whole wall is the television. It's exciting. And uh, now the radiation may give you cancer. That's... that's <laughs> That's kind of a, a crummy deal. But that can save you some money in buying a beer. Just move the furniture closer. Everybody uh, benefits from that. See, we can be creative uh, if we're uh, creative. Now, uh, rich people, third side effect is that, that we are uh, plagued with uh, discontent. 
And here's the problem. Above the poverty line, I said pottery line last time. Above the poverty line, there's not any amount of money that appreciably, appreciably makes us happier. It doesn't work. Um, it just doesn't bring what we think it's going to bring. If, now, if you, to get above the poverty line, money matters. But you're not going to make 100000 and then when you make 150000 whoo, you know, it's going to be great. No, you're always going to be thinking about 25% more is what you're going to need to change your life. And so we are discontented because when we develop an appetite for something, then we want more and more of it. I have an article, a research project they did that said Oreos are as addicting as heroin. And so, uh, and I don't think that's, that's licensed to, to take heroin, but, but, you know, if you eat two Oreos, you've got to have four. And, uh, and, and that's just the way our appetites are. The more we open up to something, the uh, more our appetite grows for it. And then... Um, Fourth side effect is that when money changes you, you keep the change. It doesn't go away. There's this drift that occurs from trusting God uh, to starting to trust more in money. And we start to, uh, to change. And we become greedy and, and weird. Somebody said the worst thing about being wealthy is you have to be around wealthy people. And uh, that, that could be because sometimes... If we change, we become like this Scrooge rather than Robin Hood, and, uh, and, and we're just obsessed with that money, and it changes us. Um, th- think, think about this. Which, if I, if I could just convince you of these two, one of these two statements, or both of these statements, which do you think would cause more anxiety? Let's say I could convince you that there is no God. And I say, look, there's no God. Let me tell you, it's right here. Here's the proof. There's no God. Or would you be more anxious to hear, uh, here's some proof. You have lost all your money. You have no money. Here's, here's what happened to it. And, and I said, you have no money. Which would cause more anxiety? Well, uh, I think for me, it'd be the money thing. I say, I'll work that God thing out later, but I got to go find some money. <laughs> Because we are in a materialistic society and we have drifted to make money so very important. Fifth side effect of money is it can be hazardous to your health. You want to know what car sickness is? Car sickness is when you're two months behind on your payment. Now, that is when you get car sickness. But we, uh, we know that the stress and the pressure... Um, of getting more money causes us high blood pressure and acne and just anything you can imagine because money will not heal us. Money doesn't heal us. It never satisfies, and it does not heal. So let's go through this scripture. Uh, It's 1 Timothy 6, starting in the 17th verse. Before this, he was... He's presented the dangers of wealth, and now he's focusing in on the spiritual effects that wealth can have. And he's really writing to Timothy about wealthy Christians. And he's kind of saying, okay, here's here's the deal on um, how 
those wealthy Christians ought to be wealthy. And he's telling Timothy all about it. He starts off, he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. Now, a lot of people that are wealthy, they think IQ and, and wealth, uh, income, go together. And, you know, if they win the lottery, all of a sudden they think they are instantly more brilliant than everybody else in the world. But often you see them uh, in bankruptcy court five years later because they were no different. I saw a thing on a guy that had won a huge lottery and filed bankruptcy, and a list of assets were 150 pair of the exact same pair of slacks that he had in his closet. And so we do weird things when we come to depend on money, and we get proud when we depend on money. We start to feel like I'm better than you, and we get insensitive to other people. Uh, I love to read uh, quotes of insensitive people. It makes me feel better about myself. And um, Arnold Schwarzenegger said, money, money doesn't mean that much to me. He said, I have $50 million, and, and I was just as happy when I only had $48 million. <laughs> Imagine saying that. Uh, Jose Canseco, for, uh, former uh, baseball player, pro baseball player, said, Man, people think if you make $35 million a year, you're wealthy. Well, the government takes 41% right off the top. Now you're left with 17 or $18 million, if that, and then you've got to take care of your whole family. <laughs> just, uh, just lose sight and, um, and really start to get arrogant about money. And, you know, you, you can make all the money you want, but pretty much the amount of people that are going to show up at your funeral depends on whether or not it rains. So uh, that's, you know, you don't have anything really to be proud about because God is the one that gives us all things. And if we realize that, then we're not going to be proud. And it says here, and not trust or not hope in their money or their wealth, which is unreliable or which is uh, uncertain. Now, money talks, and often my money says bye-bye when it talks to me. And that's just a reality. And we can think, you know, that, that we've got it all and we've got it taken care of, and, and, uh, and we don't because money has an amazing way of going away. And um, just something minimal can happen, and, you know, the housing market or stock market or, you know, wherever you've got your money could just... Uh, mess up and, and cause problems for all of us. And we've, some of us have been through those things. So um, it, he's just saying, don't trust in that money. It's just unreliable. And, you know, people will do desperate things to ensure that they're going to make money. Let's talk about Miley Cyrus for a minute, okay? You want to talk about Miley Cyrus? I believe, I really believe this. I believe that we should find some adult to go talk to her and tell her, okay, Miley, we get it. You are not Hannah Montana anymore. <laughs> because what she is doing to be able to make money as an adult is just nuts. And, uh, and this image she's created for herself so that no one will look at her and think, Hannah Montana. And so somebody just needs to tell her, okay, good job. You did it. Now put your clothes on and, uh, and let's get on with this thing. In the great game of life, money is a really crummy 
scorekeeper. But we let it be the thing that indicates our worth. And when your wife's sister brother makes a hundred bucks more than you, it is a downer. You don't even want to be around him because uh, he, he makes more money. And, and there's just so, other, so many other ways that we can feel uh, fulfillment in this life. Proverbs 18.11, it's a fantastic, fantastic verse. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall. And so they spend their life building this wall. And you know what? They do it. And that wall separates them oftentimes from God, and that wall separates them from other people. And so they can't be generous because they know that the wall they're building has, a, has one more block that needs to go in it. And so they're going to hold on to their money, put that block in the wall that they're going to build or that they are building. And uh, nobody's told them, I guess, that when you go to heaven, you don't get to take the wall with you. It stays right here. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And it says, it goes on to say, and their trust should be in God. Now, if, um, if you're paying a lot of interest on debt, it tends to uh, sidetrack you and you give less interest in God. And we call that drift from a God focus to a money focus. And we're always uh, wanting God to bring us wealth. We're essentially praying, God, show me the money. And, uh, and, and if we're doing that, that's just all about us unless, unless we've come to discover that the gift of getting is meant to be the gift of getting. So we want to stay focused on God and not on what God provides us with. And you're going to be focused on God. If you're in the hospital and they got all the tubes on there just keeping you conscious and you're about to die, you'll be totally focused on God, I tell you. You will not care about your stupid wall. You won't care about your money. Somebody said, where there's a will, there's a relative. And, and that's going to happen <laughs> when you die. That's going to happen. Just guarantee it. So if you're going to be focused on God at the end, why not be focused on God in the middle? And just finally say, okay, this money thing, it, it doesn't work. I can't beat it. It doesn't fulfill. And then why not, why not be focused on God at the start? Start, middle, and end. I believe you'll be much more, um, much more uh, fulfilled. You know, a lot of times I think people give God credit for closing the deal when actually Satan closed that deal because Satan knew if he could just get you wealthy, if he could just give you enough of the, the number one competitor for Jesus, uh, then he'd have your heart. And, uh, and that, so that, I think that a lot of times we give uh, credit to God for something that maybe God didn't do. But doing rich right means that you keep your trust in God no matter what, and uh, that's the way that we live our life. We depend on Him all of our lives. And then it, it says, their trust should be in God, goes on, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, God doesn't want all your money. 
uh, he wants you to enjoy some of the things that he provides for you. So uh, he's not a kill joy. He wants this life to be fulfilling. But if you're unsatisfied and ungrateful uh, then, and, and you're not generous, then you won't enjoy your money because it'll have such a grip on your life. But if you could start to be like a poor person and kind of let go a little bit, and, and, and you know, when you build that, that wall, those hands start to close in. And, but if you could just start to open those hands up and become generous, then, then you're going to find the fulfillment. But you never find it when you're leading that life of if only. Timothy 6.18 says, tell them to use their money to do good. Now, if you have to go in debt to look good, and your whole purpose in life is to look good, you must look really bad down inside if that's the way you're living. Because the goal is not to look good, it's to do good things. And that's what uh, God wants us to do. Doing good is exactly what God wants. He wants you to amass spiritual wealth by putting material wealth to use in ways that reflect God to the rest of the world. That's what he wants to do. So he gives us stuff so that we can give it and, uh, and, he, so the, and the world will notice. And uh, the next part of that verse says, they should be rich in good works. You know, it's one thing to tip God. And a lot of times, the tip we give God is less percentage than we give someone who serves us food at a restaurant. And so we're just giving God a tip. But he doesn't just want a tip. He wants all of us. And uh, he wants us all to be giving and generous. Um, I think, what was it that this church uh, put together? 20,000 of those boxes last year. Was that the number? 20,000? 20,000 pounds of stuff, uh, which probably meant more boxes uh, because they weighed more. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, we gave a lot of stuff. This is a generous congregation. We find things to do. We, just, we already sent $10,000 to the Philippines. That's what the world wants to see. Not a church all huddled up in itself, but a church giving. And that's what God wants to see individuals doing. Giving so that God is mirrored to other people in the world. And that's not going to happen when we're greedy and dissatisfied. You know, uh, Friday night in Cincinnati, there was a church... They had 800 volunteers at the Jesus Prom. The Jesus Prom was, was for 2,800 mentally and physically challenged people in that community. 2,800. And the uh, limo services shut down, and every one of those 2,800 were taken to that dance in a limo. Ha! Huh? Is that cool? Because one guy had an idea to do that. He was a youth pastor, and he was old-er. He was older. And, you know, at some point, you have to quit being a youth pastor most of the time because you're just, you're too old. And uh, the things that were fun start to irritate. But he, he didn't want to give it up. So he said, well, look, uh, if I work with mentally challenged people, 
They're older, but they're still fun like, like young people are. And so that turned into his ministry, from youth work to working with mentally challenged people. And, and really giving them a dream that they never thought would ever come true. They got to go to a prom, and the whole church was behind it. There's a church that has 16,000 people, and they have a dollar club. And uh, 12,000 are in the dollar club, and it's essentially you just put a dollar, uh, give a dollar every time you come to church. No matter what else you're giving, you just give it up. So uh, every week, uh, $12,000 comes in from the dollar club, which is about 50000 a month. And they use that money uh, in benevolence to fund somebody that maybe doesn't have insurance or needs an operation or uh, just something. They're, they're in trouble. Because one person had an idea about $1. I was out at a church in California where I was speaking, and the church was like this. But out the back, there was this giant car barn where they were working on all these cars. And what happened was one guy who didn't have much money went to the pastor and said, hey, I'm really good working on cars and I can restore them. So if you can get somebody to give a car to the church, I'll fix it and we'll give it to somebody that needs transportation. So they, they now have this huge car barn and it's staffed with uh, guys right out of prison that are learning how to work on cars, and they give about 150 cars a year to people that need transportation. Isn't that great? Because one guy said he's going to do it. But see, you, you can't ever do that if you're not focused on how am I going to be generous to those in need. Uh, how am I going to take whatever it is, my time, my talent, and, and my money and stop building the wall and start reaching out to other people. I mean, it's just, it's just a different way of seeing life. It is the life of generosity and giving versus a stingy, greedy life. He says, always be willing to share with others. Some of us Christians need to go back to kindergarten and get that share concept that we because we don't like to share. We like to keep stuff from uh, other people, and we become obsessed with acquiring. And when we become obsessed with, with uh, acquiring, it becomes a self-feeding fire. And, and uh, it, it's like a chicken pox of the soul or something, or uh, eczema of the heart. It, it eats us alive. And, uh, you know, if you're in this mode, you know what, you, you always are, you're always upgrading. You know, you're upgrading. You're, you're, you've got a kitchen with a refrigerator and oven and countertops. And so you take all that out, and then you put in a refrigerator and an oven and countertops. Because <laughs> you needed to upgrade. You had to. You had no choice. The upgrade. People will take a car to a dealership running fine, doing a great job. They will leave the car there and also give them some money. They'll leave money and the car and then drive off in a car that's pretty much like the car they left there on the lot. That, that's what we do if we're focused on acquisition and we're not detached from our money. 1 Timothy 6.19 says, By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. 
And wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. God knows that, and children know that too. When you tell them that you got to go to work uh, and stay till 9, and you're doing it for them, they know you're doing it for you. They just, God and children know the motive behind it. So this verse says, storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, we're either focused on now and what I can get, or we're focused on that world ahead. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. St. John Chrysostom, or Chrysanthemum, or uh, St. John Chris Christopherson uh, said this. Listen to what he said. Riches are not forbidden, but the price of them is. And so, as Christians, we want to exchange the success of this fleeting world to building this amazing future in the coming world. And then this final piece of verse says, so they may experience true life. So many people are so old, and uh, even though they're young, because they're so focused. You never get those 30s and 40s and 50s back. You've got to start to live life and enjoy it. And to do that, you have to let go of the money thing. Let me uh, show you a picture. Uh, this was Halloween. And do you have that picture you could put up there? Halloween. This, this is me, uh, sadly. And uh, the, the timing of this picture is quite remarkable because there's Amelia uh, in the front and then Solomon's right behind her and they're all smiling because we're having fun and living life. Now, let me tell you why it's such a great picture because about two seconds later, all the little kids were crying because they discovered they were afraid of clowns. And it was, uh, it was a disaster. And Solomon made me promise I would never put makeup on my face again. And so I won. He was telling me what, what I could be next year, and it's not uh, that clown. But I'm trying to enjoy life and get out there and do what we need to do to our children, embarrass them, humiliate them, frighten them. That's life. That's what God called us to do so they can handle it later on. So, finally, world's smartest man said, in Proverbs 38, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Just enough is all he needed. I believe that all of us need to uh, say to our money, money, I want you to heal me but you can't. I think we need to tell our money that, that we know they can't heal us, that it won't heal us. It won't make things in the long run better for us. We need to make some choices that we don't want to make so that we can live the true life that we want to live. But first, we have to learn this amazing word that is maybe the most powerful word in the human existence of life and zoology. And it is the word no. We have to learn to say no. Hoarding is not healing. And when possessions possess us and what we own owns up 
us, it shows that our riches are really more important than our God. Why would we put hope in riches when we could put our hope in the creator and the provider of everything that we have? So I want you to say something after me. Trust me, uh, uh, it'll be fine. So say this right after me. I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Okay, we'll do it one more time. We're almost finished. I will not put my hope in riches, when I can, but in him who richly provides. Everybody here has to make a decision. You're either going to be grateful and giving, or you're going to be greedy and live a life that's not fulfilling. That's the choice. Everybody makes a choice. And here's something that I can guarantee you. Every person here has had a really good intention from time to time to change the way they treat their money. They've had, you've all, everybody has really had good intentions. And here's what I've found, that a commitment is so much better than good intentions. Because as you know, good intentions do nothing. And so I've been praying that some people would make a commitment. They're not going to let money own them. They're going to take this this wealthy nation we live in and the ability to experience so many good things and they're going to start enjoying it rather than worrying over how big or how strong their wall is. Let me pray for you. Lord, help us to know what to do and give us the courage to do it, Lord. Help us to see you above and beyond our, our finances, not see you behind them or through them or cluttered by them. Help us to commit to a life of generosity and gratitude. In your name we pray. Amen.